The Natural Hat Trick, hosted by Luke Lipinski and Craig Morgan. And Steve Peters. Welcome into episode 282 of the Natural Hat Trick Podcast. Luke Lipinski here alongside Craig Morgan. Good natty hattie. And Steve Peters. Good morning, Luke. The bully. Steve Steve the bully. (laughs) I got to redeem myself today. Nice job, Craig. Everything good, Craig? Everything's well, it's 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 okay, Steve. Um, um, yeah, whatever you say, Steve. Whatever you say. <laughs> Good Lord, I'll carry your books on the way to school today. Make everybody happy. Say, Steve. Poor Craig. Let's feel sorry for Craig Morgan Day. Uh, just a victim here. I know. I don't remember any of the listeners ever feeling sorry for Craig Morgan when Jamie was here. That's that's weird that they immediately flipped on you, Petey. I know. And Jamie's taking Craig's side. Somehow, I think that that's rarefied territory, right? Uh, like, that's never happened. I don't know. I, 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 it, just, it just shows you how egregious it's been. I mean, I, I can't even count the instances anymore. I, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I get that a lot. <laughs> Bully. I just love how Petey, when you asked Craig how he was doing this morning, his initial reaction was, oh, I'm doing good. And then he realized what you were saying. Yeah. He's like, but, it, but it's been <laughs> yeah. difficult. Yeah, Eeyore over there. Not so good. <laughs> he looked like LeBron James drawing a foul. All right, let's get oh. to the news in general around the league. And, um, let's start with Gretzky. Let's start with TNT. We'll go there. We're going to get to predictions here. I'm scoring them as we speak. And uh, Craig, it doesn't look good. For some reason, you keep picking the Penguins in round one every year. And that's uh, that's a minus. That's a minus at least one every single season. But uh, we'll get to that. Wayne Gretzky to TNT. This is interesting. I, I it, It's I, I like the move. I, I kind of am surprised it's, it hasn't happened before here stateside. Yeah, Petey, you might have insight, a lot more insight. You're obviously, you know, Gretz, you worked with him, but you, you have know, the suits. Yeah, that's you. That's right. That's right. Oh, yeah. I think he actually sold them. He was probably uh, having a garage sale and selling those mm-hmm. cool uh, 5K each. <laughs> Hugo Boss garage sale. Previously <laughs> worn by. Yeah. I mean, we've seen the details. It's not, it's not like this is going to be a full time gig for Gretzky. I don't think anybody would have expected that. But in your opinion, Petey, what is, what does he bring to the booth? You know, his insight and the way he sees the game is literally different than anybody I've ever been around. And I know that sounds cliche and superficial, but it's 100% true. He sees things in the game just plain different. And he'll sit there and watch a video clip and say, Hey, that guy should be there. And you're like, well, why? And he said, just wait. And sure enough, the play, uh, as the play transpires, it, it ends up on that player's stick. So I think that that insight will be great. Se- secondly, he's still the face of hockey. For people that aren't day-to-day hockey fans, they know who Wayne Gretzky is. So I think that will help boost um, you know, ratings and recognition and, and the game of hockey stateside. He's entertaining. He's fun to listen to. And he has unbelievable stories. He's a great storyteller. So I think from that perspective, he's going to be great. I, I think you're right. I think the expectations of him being a twice a week studio analyst, breaking things down day to day and, and, and being a fixture in Atlanta, uh, that's not what he wants to do at this stage in his career. So actually, I think it's a really good marriage. It's good for the league. It's good for TV and it's good for hockey fans. I'm excited to watch him. I think he does bring an element that, that other people don't bring. I love it. And for what PD just said there at the beginning, I mean, yes, the name recognition. If you're trying, I hope that the NHL seizes this opportunity with this move to ESPN and TNT to try and bring in new fans. But beyond that, it's what PD said at the beginning. Gretzky just sees the game differently. 
And we don't really hear from those guys. Like, A, I don't know that anybody ever saw the game the way he did, but we never hear from, like, a Mario Lemieux. We're obviously not hearing from Connor McDavid. To me, there's only, like, maybe maybe a dozen players in history that see the game at such a, a, a unique level like that. And we always heard with Gretzky, it was like, well, does that make him a good coach? Does that make Magic Johnson a good coach in basketball or Michael Jordan? Because they can just do stuff, and it's hard for them to teach everybody else because nobody else can do those things. But he's not coaching my team here. He's he's letting us behind the curtain to see the game the way he sees it. Like I'm I'm legitimately excited to see what he has to say. Yeah, me too. Just that that high level analysis that it, it, it's hard sometimes to get into the the deep de- details of, of what an elite player can do on the ice. Um, I just saw this. Like I, I just did, and not to pimp my own stories, but I just talked to Michael Grab here at length. Monthly yeah. or yearly subscriptions are available. No, careful there, PD. You're going to be bullying Craig Morgan again. I don't. I I got nothing to sell. If I did, I would. Trust me. (laughs) You you all heard that, listeners, right? Okay. (laughs) Let's resume talking about Michael Grabner. One of the points he was making was just, you know, I'd always wondered, everybody could see the speed. That was a great advantage for him on the PK. But he talked about anticipation and how he would read things when he was on the PK. And it was fascinating to me. I had never heard what he was talking about before. For instance, coaches will tell you to – you know, keep moving your stick, keep staying in the lanes. And Grabner's like, that made no sense to me. He said, all that told the uh, the guy with the puck is where I was going to be. So he knew what was going to be open by by me moving my stick the other way. He said, I just kept my stick in one place and goaded him to go the other way. And then I'd anticipate and pick it off. That sort of high level analysis for a guy who can do something at an elite level fascinates me. And obviously Gretzky, my God, how many things did he not do at an elite level? It, it'll be fascinating from that standpoint alone for me to hear him in the booth. Yeah, and you talk about the league that's trying to sell their stars. I mean, you know, that's one area that the, the NHL has suffered from over the years. I think this, he can put you inside the mind of a Sidney Crosby or a Connor McDavid, and he'll say, here's what they're thinking, feeling, seeing. This is what they're preparing. I, I think it's going to be great insight for the, for the everyday hockey fan. Excited yeah, for Yeah, absolutely. And Craig, to your point on Grabner, I mean, that's the sort of thing that, that he can get away with because he has that speed. Most penalty killers, if they try that, they're not going to be on the penalty kill any longer. But because he has that speed, it is, it's a different set of rules because you want to maximize that gift you have. And Gretzky had pretty much every gift and we really don't hear from him very much, you know? Yeah. Um, he also gets away from the Oilers and, uh, that might be a good thing because they just got swept by the Winnipeg Jets. Um, at a certain point here without bashing the Oilers, I would like to see Connor McDavid in the playoffs, and I'm not sure that's going to happen very much while he's on this team, unless they do a drastic overhaul, but they really can't do one yet. I just, yeah, I I wonder. I don't want to get to the point where I'm blaming uh, Kenny Holland and Dave Tippett yet. This is year two, and when they came in, they knew they had a a tragically flawed roster, right? So it was going to take a little while. They do have a lot of players coming off the books. Of course, they have a lot of money committed to those guys, but they do have a lot of guys coming off the books after this season. They'll have some flexibility, but you're still tied to James Neal for two more seasons. You're still in a COVID-impacted world where it's a flat cap. I, I, I'm with you, Luke. I, we need to see this guy make a deep run into the playoffs. I don't know if it's going to happen next year or even the year after that, and you're just wasting the prime years of Connor McDavid's career. It's crazy. Yeah, for a league that's trying to sell their superstars, you'd like to see him have the kind of success that Sidney Crosby had out of the gate in, in his career in the playoffs. And I, I just I look at this roster in Edmonton, and I just, I, to Craig's point, 
fortunately for Edmonton, they're going to have a lot of wiggle room with this roster over this summer. I, I think this is an opportunity for them. We're talking almost 10 players that are, they're coming up either UFA or RFA. So they're, they're going to have some room to make some changes. I look at Dave Tippett and his coaching style and what he brings to Edmonton. I would be extremely surprised if, if there was a departure by Dave Tippett at this time. I, I just, I don't see that as being the solution. Um, I see providing Connor McDavid with a better surrounding and a deeper surrounding cast. Um, they had, you know, Clefbaum was out for the year. That's a piece that they couldn't afford to miss on the back end. Yeah. Goaltending. I, I mean, I don't know what else you could have asked Mike Smith to do during the playoffs. He played extremely well. However, there were still a few goals during the playoffs that you'd like to have back and you'd like to have another option in the net. So he's a UFA. I'd be really surprised if Mike Smith comes back. Um, I think there'll be enough changes that will, people will be excited about Edmonton again next season and saying, what if, but, but that's it. I mean, you're going to have to disrupt that core if it, if it fails again. Let's talk about that goaltending situation just a little bit. I, I, to me, uh, yeah, I, I don't think Mike Smith was bad in this postseason, but you would have liked him to have been better, a game changer. You know, I, I thought Tip's loyalty to him was was maybe his one flaw in over the past two seasons, just riding Mike. Maybe he didn't believe he had another option, and that's part of the problem up there. So when you guys look at the – I'll ask you this first, Luke. When you guys look at the, the goaltending situation there – what do they do moving forward here? You, you mentioned that he's a UFA, Mike Smith. What do you do moving forward here if you're Edmonton in goal? There's a lot of teams out there that have two good goalies now. And, and I, you know, I expect some sort of movement with the expansion draft and teams maybe not wanting to just lose a guy, maybe somebody. I, I mean, we saw it last time with Vegas. There were a lot of guys that moved around around the draft that didn't go necessarily to Vegas. I think it's something they got to address. I don't think you can put this loss on Mike Smith, but there were a couple. What was it? Was it game three where he gave up the two goals like 25 seconds apart? And those, those weren't great goals. And, you know, to me, the, the issue with the Oilers, going back to what you said, it's, it's not Dave Tippett or Ken Holland. I mean, we know Peter Ciarelli is the one that put this group together around Connor McDavid and really hamstrung them until potentially this offseason. You know, I can look at a loss to Winnipeg and say, okay, you know, those games were close. Sometimes that happens. Like sometimes you just go out in the first round against the team playing really well. But to me, it's the bigger picture. We're six years into Connor McDavid's career. The best two players I've ever seen in their prime are Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby. Now there's like Alex Ovechkin and Nathan McKinnon are right there too. But those two in particular, Crosby had already been to two cups and won one at this point. Connor McDavid has one playoff series win and it's not his fault, but Look, as much as I like Crosby, as much as I, I think if you, if you watch hockey closely or play hockey, you appreciate more of what Crosby does. But McDavid's more fun to watch and nobody's getting to watch him because they just got swept. And the only other time they were in the playoffs was a couple of years ago. And even then they only won one round. You're going to have to do something in net, but you need more than two guys on your team that can score because it's the playoffs. We talked about this last week and we're going to talk about it more here with the officiating. The way the playoffs are set up pure skill guys like McDavid, you're going to be limited at least until you, at least until you've gone on a deep run and figured it out. And it can't be like, well, McDavid hasn't scored in the first two games. So there's no way we're going to win those games. Cause then you're going to be done every year in the first round. Yeah. And I think you look at the division set up this year too. I don't think that did Edmonton any favors. They had an unbelievable, you look at the, the three teams furthest West in that division. There are, you know, two don't make the playoffs and Edmonton's bones right away. That, that travel schedule w- was difficult. Um, it's a tough division. I think next year you'll put them back in the, 
you know, in the Pacific Division, and it'll be a different team. I don't think Calgary's quite ready. Vancouver's still on the way up. You know, L.A. and Anaheim, San Jose. So I, I think they're going to be in the playoffs again. Um, they have one more year. You know, Tippett's contract expires. You're going to have to see these changes this summer. Let's let's hope for the excitement around Connor McDavid this time next season. When you look at, and I don't want to suggest in any way, shape, or form that Connor McDavid deserves blame. On the flip side, in the first two games of this series, McDavid and Drysaddle did not have a point. That can't happen, obviously, for their star players. When 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 you talk about systems, when you talk about defending PD, how do you parse that? I mean, because Clearly, they were going to be the focus of Winnipeg in, in any defensive strategy, and yet they were the focus all season long, and those guys continued to produce. They didn't get it done in the first two games at home, and that put them in a giant hole. You, you talk to the coaching staff in Edmonton, and they know every single night games, 1 through 82, or in this case, 1 through 56, every team they play is saying if we can keep Connor McDavid off the score sheet, we have a higher percentage of winning the game every single night, and yet he still puts up incredible numbers. The difference is the playoff, and we'll get to this when we talk about officiating, the way those games are officiated and the room and the space and the time these players have during the regular season is different than it is in the playoffs. Is that right or wrong? We'll get into it, but I think that is a huge difference. His time and space were absolutely limited. It's a tighter checking game once it gets to the playoffs, and it affected his play. And what happens with those star players is now you want to do more. When things aren't going well, you don't defer to your line mate. You carry the puck longer. You hang on a little longer. You stay on longer. Um, all of those things don't contribute to winning. And we, we've seen it here. I, Taylor Hall is a perfect example. When things were close to a playoffs and and the, the Coyotes were trying to get in. Taylor Hall did more, and it actually hurt the team. He was trying to carry the puck too long. He stayed on the ice too long, shifts too long, because that drive of that elite players to solve the problem, but you can't do it by yourself. So I, I think there was a little bit of that as well here, uh, and that's why it's imperative that Edmonton can surround him with better role players, and, and I mean bottom six guys, bottom six guys that can contribute not just offensively, the, but can take ice time, play defensive roles, um, physical roles. They just need a better makeup if they want to make it in, uh, further in the playoffs. PD, when you are near preparing to face a player like that, even if it's not at McDavid's level, but like one of one of the, the the best players in the league offensively, does it get easier as the series goes on, or do we see those players start to figure it out more as the series goes on? Because setting officiating aside for a second, because we're going to get to that, but just if you're facing the same guy over and over seven times for two weeks, and it's like, okay, this is how we have to stop McDavid. Are you more likely to be able to adjust to him, or is it the other way around? Do you think? Well, it's a great point because you saw it come to bear when when the Coyotes played uh, Colorado in the bubble. There there was no solution. We could the Coyotes could have played them ten times, and I don't think that that was going to be able to make an adjustment on that player. Having said that, Connor McDavid by himself, you find ways, but but. Elite players find ways around it. They'll see, okay, this is how they're going to pick me up in the neutral zone, so I'm going to vary my speed. I'm not going to come up as fast. I'm going to slow down, which is actually going to create more difficulties for the defense. So I, I think that elite player, as the series goes on, should start to, to come out. You saw it in this series. You know, McDavid finally started to get some points on the board as the series drew on. Um does that mean he was going to get three, four, five goals if it went seven? I, you know, I, I don't know. But but those players that see the game differently on an elite level usually find a way. 
Let's um because we've sort of tiptoed around it. Let's get into the officiating component of the playoffs because even last week before the Oilers were even really in trouble in that series, we were talking on this show about how a guy like Nathan McKinnon, he's almost built more conducively to have playoff success right now than a guy like Connor McDavid because McKinnon is a little more physical and he, I mean, he's been in the league a little bit longer too, but. Some of that that went into that conversation was what you just said. The games are officiated differently in the playoffs. It is a slightly different sport, and that is not conducive, which sounds almost counterproductive for the league, but that's not conducive to a guy like McDavid having success. Yeah, I'm not sure if you guys read the piece that Dom Lashushin ran at The Athletic, but it was it was a, it was a fascinating read. Um, he basically zeroed in on Connor McDavid and who who was second in the league this season and drawn penalties at 29, tied with Connor Garland. Actually, uh, he drew no penalties in the playoffs, and he looked at all of the not just the sort of black uh, the the gray areas or the if he calls, he looked at obvious penalties, infractions that were committed against Connor McDavid that were not called. And there were a lot of them in that series. That's really troubling to me. I would have liked to get in a comparison with some other stars to see if everyone's dealing with this, but still, why are, why are we calling the playoffs? I mean, I guess you've got to call them a little bit differently. You want to let the guys play a little bit, but to me that plays into the hands of the guys that aren't as good. If you are allowing them to do something different than they can by the rules in the regular season to defend Connor McDavid, that's that's a bad thing. That's a disadvantage for Connor McDavid, and you don't want to disadvantage players like Connor McDavid. You like like I said to you guys off the air, the NBA gets this. There is a bit of star treatment, but those guys sort of deserve it because they're probably doing things to get around. They're, they're probably making plays that they deserve to get calls for. You can't punish your star players in the postseason. It's crazy to me, at, and that probably played into – Connor McDavid's lack of success, at least in the first couple games. It's something we talked about earlier in the year when we were talking about Tim Peel. And we said how things vary within the league and, and a call in the first might not be a call in the third. That's even intensified in the playoffs where a call in game 10 probably won't be a call in game one of the playoffs. I think what fans want to see is that consistency. And Craig, you talked about the star value of this league. Um, to get that... And those players to succeed, you need to allow them room and space to make that happen. And I think what fans would like to see is you'd like to see it called to the rule book. And so what that means to me is, is game one of these series, there's going to be a lot of penalties. It's going to be a very difficult game to watch when we saw in these game one hard-hitting, physical, fast, exciting hockey in Game 1. Game one's going to be miserable, painful, slowed down, whistles, power play, special teams. But as we talked about in the Tim Peel incident, players adjust and play to the way the game is being officiated. So by the middle of that game or by the end of that game, players have adjusted. Okay, they're going to call this. I got it. We're not going to be able to do that anymore. We can't have sticks up anymore. We can't hook anymore. We can't slow down. We can't interfere. And I think the players would adjust so that by game two, you're watching a better brand of star-valued hockey. Now, we talk about stars getting calls, and Luke may attest to this. The Coyotes have always been on the other side of that. Sidney Crosby gets away with a lot more on the ice than other players because he is Sidney Crosby. Now, you know, if Connor McDavid doesn't play that way, so you don't see him um, creating the havoc that Sidney does, but watch Sidney Crosby on the ice, like with his stick play and, and the way he grabs and clutches, he might get a little star treatment because of who he is. And again, that plays into this whole thing. Call the penalty. If it's a penalty, call the penalty. And all 
of the coaches and players will adjust accordingly. Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. But and I guess it sort of goes to what Craig is saying. If you're going to give somebody star treatment, like even even the way they would give it to Crosby doesn't really help the flow of the game. They're just letting him getting away with 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 making plays defensively almost that maybe should be penalties. But it's still not freeing up a guy like Connor McDavid. I don't know what you do. I mean, this is the way the playoffs have been forever, and and I don't like that always being a, a crutch of like, well, this is the way it's been, so we can't change anything. And I do think the league has been good about changing things over the past decade or so. I just know at the end of the day, we're not seeing Connor McDavid in the playoffs. And I know from talking to yeah. people and just from my own experience. When, when it was Crosby and Ovechkin, people got sick of Crosby and Ovechkin because the league, they only talked about Crosby and Ovechkin. But it's gone so far the other way. I mean, <laughs> a lot of friends here in, in Arizona that, that love hockey that haven't even really settled in to watch the playoffs yet, haven't even seen McDavid. If they were watching the playoffs, they were watching Washington, Boston, or Tampa, Florida. You would expect McDavid versus Matthews in the second round. Guys, Edmonton didn't even win a game. It's not like it went to a, a game seven that everybody was watching. They didn't win a game. Yeah, and that's not all on the officiating. I wanted to ask you, but you you mentioned that this is always the way it's been in the playoffs, and and I agree. I don't don't see anything different in in terms of the way the playoffs are being officiated, i.e. not like the regular season, but maybe it's just me. Maybe this is just anecdotal, and I'm off base here, but it seems like there have been a lot more complaints from team officials about the officiating. You heard the Blues. I mean – like everybody in the organization, the Blues was complaining about the officiating. Rod Brindabore is banging the drum. Tampa Bay coach John Cooper is banging that drum. Boston coach Bruce Cassidy. The Penguins, Penguins weren't happy either. It just seems to me like it's it's gone to another level. So I'm wondering what, what's happened here. It, is, has it reached a boiling point where teams are actually sick of this now? Because, again, not, it's not like anything's changed. I don't know what you do to change it, though. I mean, that that's the thing. And, and, you know, I go back to two years ago when the Blues won the Cup, and it, that was the year it really stood out to me where it just felt like every team that played against St. Louis had something bad to say about what St. Louis was getting away with. And, look, I know any time a team wins, the other team's going to be like, oh, they got away with this. But we didn't hear that when the Blackhawks were winning Cups consistently. We didn't even hear it when the Penguins were winning Cups consistently. I mean, I know people didn't like Crosby, but – with the Blues, and that was just so recent, it was just kind of like, you know, they're able to do this. They're they're able to play a different style of hockey because it's the playoffs, and that's why they won. I don't think that was the case with Tampa last year, but also Tampa last season, just the whole thing was so strange. I don't know how to factor that into the general history of the league. Is this just the hot button right now, Craig? Like We talked a couple years ago after the Bill Peters incident and that hot button then was coaches yelling and kicking players. And we heard about the media every day that, oh, this coach yelled at me or called me an expletive. Um, I I don't know if the officiating has changed enough to read it in, in the media every single day. It's just getting that attention right now. And it's just the hot button of the times. Yeah, but it's it's the coaches and GMs that are creating the the interest. That's what fascinates me. I agree with you that the officiating doesn't look any different. But more team officials seem to be yeah. complaining about it than I can remember, and I'm I'm trying to figure out why. Yeah, I don't have an answer for it, Craig. I don't know. I, I agree, and I just don't know why. Uh, let's run through a few of these series pretty quickly. We've got the ones that are already over, the Edmonton series. We all got that wrong in our predictions. I Winnipeg, I mean, Peter, you were talking Winnipeg up for the last couple months of the season. Any chance they give Toronto a hard time? I mean, yeah, Toronto right now, Toronto's playing a junior team right now, so I'm not going to get all caught up in this. Oh, Toronto's so amazing. They want a playoff series. Could we make the path to the final four any easier for Toronto? 
Yeah, I think Winnipeg is a team we talked about towards the end of the season. They got a goaltender that's world class that can win a game by himself. They can play with four lines. They play a little bit tougher. Um, Toronto, if they can get, not if, when they get by Montreal, um, I think this will be a tighter series than you think. This is a team that was, you know, uh, on, on pace to be a Stanley Cup contender a few years ago. So don't, don't dismiss them out of hand. Paul Maurice is, is, done a great job behind the bench there i think this is a pretty good hockey team and what they have is they have belief they were down four to one with nine minutes to go in a playoff game and one you do that you you're gonna have a hard time putting that team away even in the third period you're up four to two they're on the bench going hey we've done this we've seen it we can do this that belief goes a very long way in the playoffs so they're going to be dangerous and, and toronto's going to have their hands full with winnipeg we can talk about uh, yeah, a couple factors in that series. We just talked about the officiating with McDavid in particular, maybe being a factor in that Winnipeg series. And there's some pretty good evidence there. Um, but what amazes me about Winnipeg doing what they did is I'm not a big fan of that blue line. I don't think that's a very good blue line. It, it It's one of the worst blue lines in the playoffs without question. So for them to do what they did to Edmonton was impressive to me in spite of all of Edmonton's roster holes, but, I also agree with what you just said about this, the more physical style that they can play against Toronto. That's a style that can work against the Maple Leafs. So I am, I'm curious where this series is going to go. And, and by the way, I agree with you, Luke, on Montreal. I think they're the worst team in the playoff field. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Like, so we're all going to get that series, right? I am probably going to get the bonus because I have Toronto. Me and Petey both have Toronto in five. And I wish I could go back and pick Toronto even in four because Montreal has just been so bad. They can't score goals. So you put a team that can't score goals up against a team that's loaded like the Maple Leafs. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to a, a better second-round series. I, like I said, I would like to have seen McDavid and Matthews. Um, the other series that are done, I'm just going to give us all two points for the Colorado series because we didn't know who they were going to play when we made the pick. But, man, Colorado just absolutely steamrolling St. Louis – Greg, you have a couple questions about the Blues in the notes. So let's start with them since they're done. Is this just another step in the wrong direction for the Blues? So I really didn't think we're all that impressive all season. Not bad, but but just not not impressive. They do have a lot of contracts up after the season, so I'm curious where they go. But when you look at some of their key players, they're they're starting to age. So I wonder, as I said in the notes, if this is just a slow burn into decline. I I wasn't that impressed with the Blues all season. We saw what the Coyotes did to them. Um, they, they had that hot stretch aided by the fact that the Coyotes went ice cold. But, man, I, I don't see this team resurrecting what they had for that one season and getting back to cup contention. And I also wonder, and I've heard this whispered from a lot of people, that Craig Berube basically caught lightning in a bottle and they think he's a problem, actually, in St. Louis and a guy that has to go. Wow. I, I, it's definitely a team on the decline, and you look at the the, the UFAs. Uh, there's some big core pieces to this Blues team. I don't think they got the goal tending from Bennington that they had during their big Stanley Cup run. This team is they're going to have to start to rebuild. And Barubi, uh, I mean, I I, I don't I met him in the bubble because he and Rick Tockett are very close friends. So I got a chance to be around him and they're very similar in their styles on how they coach and how they approach the game and how they see the game. I, I can't speak to what's, what's going to happen. The, 
with the coaching staff, I'd be a little surprised. He's got a year left um, on a three-year deal. They've made the playoffs all of those years. I'd be a little surprised, especially with the shift back to the, the central division. I'd be surprised if they made a change at the, at the, with their coaching staff. 22, you watch, you look down the stretch, and certainly from the Coyotes' perspective, everybody was like, well, you know, St. Louis has Colorado a few times. Their games in hand are against the Avalanche, so those should be losses. And then St. Louis beat them the last two times they played until the playoffs. And it's, it's, uh, it's interesting how different Colorado looks when they have a goalie and they have Miko Rontanen, or however Pierre Maguire pronounces Rontanen. I still can't figure it out. But, uh, but when Colorado's at full strength, St. Louis doesn't do so well against them. Uh, I'm still recovering from the Pierre Maguire slander. Pierre Maguire, who, by the way, will not be joining either network. Uh, he was not offered a contract, I was told. Mm, okay. He pronounces Rontanen with like seven L's, and I have never seen any L's in Rontanen's name. It's the one time, because I, Pierre doesn't usually bother me, but that was the one thing this year in the playoffs where I was just like, I can't. And Rontanen touches the puck every three seconds, so there's no way to get away from it. Um, Nazem Kadri suspended eight playoff games. I can't remember what the multiplier is for playoff games. Is it two or three? I remember when Rafi Torres got suspended, they were like, he basically just got suspended for an entire regular season. Yes. <laughs> so Kadri gets eight. Um, that's going to carry over what? They, he served Six two games. of them already. Yeah. Yes. So that's, that's basically, yeah. And I, I wonder about that, by the way. First off, he's appealing that hearing is uh, Thursday morning. So we'll see. I've, I've been told by multiple people that he has very little chance of getting that reduced. So you're talking about, uh, first of all, as Petey said off the air, repeat offender who targets the head. This, this feels right for what he got. But how much of an impact is this going to have on next, that next series? Colorado and Vegas, to me, are two of the very top contenders for the Cup. Vegas's one weakness, in my opinion, is their play up the middle. They don't have a lot of elite play up the middle. You take Kadri out of the lineup for Colorado, and they've lost a significant advantage there. I wonder how much of a factor that's going to be in the next series. Yeah, and it's not just the middle ice, and I think that's incredibly important, and you're dead bang on with what he provides up the middle of the ice. He does provide that little element of grit and danger when he's on the ice. Not like when we talk about Wilson or Reeves. I mean, that's a, that's a completely different category, but there is still, you better be aware when Kadri's on the ice, and, and this is exactly the reason why. So I think that element missing from the Avalanche lineup is going to hurt them almost as much as it will be their strength up the middle of the ice. Is eight games the right number? Honestly, I don't know. Like We just got done talking about the officials not calling it tight enough, and we talked about headshots and letting players play. Uh, You know, if if he's got to sit out for a while, I guess that's how the league sees it. I just wish we could see best on best. I'd like to see everybody healthy and everybody in the lineup when Colorado and Vegas meet, if if Vegas can get by Minnesota. I mean, Vegas Vegas outshot Minnesota, what, 40 to 14? And loses? Like, uh, I'm sure they're shaking their heads going, what the heck do we have to do? So, so maybe maybe Minnesota pulls off the Minnesota miracle. We'll see. So I'm going to give us all two points for that because we all thought Colorado was playing Minnesota. We all had them in five or six. But I think playing St. Louis, we all would have gone four or five. The other series that ended, much to my joy, but uh, sooner than I thought, Boston over Washington. We all had Boston. We all had Boston in seven. I do think that was a deceptively lopsided result because, what, the first three or four games in that series went to overtime. The bigger picture, though, Boston looks pretty good. Tuka Rask looks pretty good. We talked about how Taylor Hall fits in because he doesn't have to be the guy. He doesn't have to be on that top line. 
Pasternak looks, I mean, the, the, the Bruins, Craig, I, I won't mention Patrice Bergeron. I'll let you talk about him, but he came up with a big play in the siding game too. I mean, the Bruins look like a legitimate cup contender now. It is fascinating, isn't it? I, I am amazed at the, obviously the Penguins have the streak for 15 straight years, I believe it is in the postseason. But when you look at Boston's longevity, it is amazing to me that this franchise has only won one cup over this stretch back in 2011 because they've been so consistent. I, I think they did miss the postseason a couple seasons in there, but this has been a really good team for a really long time. And and by adding Taylor Hall now and the way Tuka Rask is playing, I could see this team going to the cup final again. It's really hard to sustain this sort of success for this long. And Patrice Bergeron, as you mentioned, and, and as everyone by now who listens to the show knows, I have a man crush on. He is, he is a remarkable player and he's just ageless. Yeah, I think this is a this is a team that is is poised to do great things this year. I think their next round, whether it be Pittsburgh or New York Islanders, I think I think they're the better team in either of those matchups. Um, and then you have to see where where it goes from there because we don't we clearly don't know their path to, to the finals this year, right? Yeah, so you have to wait and see how this all shakes out. But but I think the next round for them, I think it's great matchups. They've got depth, they've got goaltending, they've got offense, they're defending well. Like they literally are checking every box right now. Uh so so this is gonna be a tough, tough team to, to slow down. How about Boston and Colorado in the semifinals? Whew. How about Boston Toronto in the semifinals if we get yeah. there again? Not again. Like Toronto's like, really? <laughs> Uh, hey, at least they got a couple first and second round wins this time before they got there, if that's the way it plays out. Um, Islanders, Penguins, here's, here's the stat I'll bring to you. Do you guys remember Chris Kunitz scoring in, I think, double overtime against Ottawa back when Eric Carlson was good to get the Penguins to the cup? It's the last time Pittsburgh scored an overtime goal in a playoff game. Come on. So that's, uh, it's been a while, right? I think wow. I've, I, I think I finally can put my finger on what their, their issue is in the playoffs. When a game goes to overtime, they have lost that game. So they're done. And uh, I'm the only one to pick the Islanders for some reason. I have the Islanders in six. And hmm. I, to your point, I don't think they can beat Boston. But Trotz is such a good coach that it's going to go six games, I would say. That's going to be a great series. Early in the series, I didn't think Trotz was, you know, shining that much. And I, I thought Pittsburgh had the upper hand. I'm, I'm still surprised with where we're sitting in this series. I, I can't believe the Islanders won that last game. And I was talking to Arthur Staple, the uh, beat writer for the Islanders, uh, for the Athletic. Um, and uh, I asked him if he was enjoying the last few games at Nassau Coliseum. He's like, well, are you telling me that the Penguins are going to win this next game? Because I'm not sure I'm in the final games yet. And and he was right. So I don't get it, Luke. I really don't get it. When I, I, I know the Penguins maybe can't play that grind it style like the Islanders can, but I, I still thought they were the better team in the series, and uh, I'm a little surprised that they're behind so me. Did I, but they didn't get the goaltending so far that I think they needed to get, and that's, that's been fair. an issue. And you look across the board on all of these teams. We talked mm-hmm. about Bennington. You talked about you know Jari. Like these guys are they're, they're not Carey Price, and you know they, they they give you that burst. They give you that Matt Murray. It gives you that burst. Wins the cup. And now where is he? Like, the, the, I'm not sure what what goaltender is going to win you the cup this year, but it, it shows that these guys they they maybe they can't last. I I don't know. I think that that's that's become a problem. The fans are turning on Jari right now. And, and how about Mike Sullivan, a guy that's won two cups? I started reading articles yesterday that is his job in trouble. Like he's got he's got the longest contract available left for any coach in the league, and you're going to. You're gonna, you're gonna let him go. I, I, 
I guess like it, it's the conversations are going to start if Pittsburgh gets knocked out of the playoffs. So I think that's a team and a franchise. And now they made the Burke and Hextall move. They expect to win and it's not get in the playoffs. That's not what they expect. They expect to be in it. Um, come the last game of the year. So could they make changes? Absolutely. What do you do as a coach? Because in a way, the Penguins, these were their first playoff wins since 2018. And, and yeah, I mean, that's okay. It's not, it's not that long, but at the same time, that's the team that gets picked to be a cup contender every year. And they, they're not even winning a game in the playoffs this year. They win a couple, but as a head coach, what do you do when your team has lost their last five consecutive games in overtime? What can you really do in overtime as a head coach? I mean, you do some stuff, but at a certain point, isn't it kind of a coin flip when you're in the playoffs and it's two good teams? It is. And you look at, you take the, the overtime goals as a whole in playoffs and you go, if you look at them all, they're not beautiful tic-tac-toe plays and breakaways and amazing goals. They are almost always bounced off somebody's skate and go a different direction where you catch the goalie off guard or it's deflected by your own player. They're fluke goals. They're not goals that are well coached or, oh my gosh, look at that system play. It's a lucky bounce of the puck. I mean, especially when you get into the second and third overtime where guys are getting extremely tired. You can't coach the systems when guys have played 60 minutes on the ice. I, I, I so no, the, those don't fall on the coach's shoulders. I, I, I guess line matchups to a certain extent, but, but there's, those games are decided by a mistake or a lucky bounce. Before we get out of this division, I want to point out that Alex Ovechkin and, and Zdeno Char are both up. Um, uh, so I don't know what your thoughts are on Ovechkin at this point. He's obviously going to keep playing, and, and I hope he does keep playing. We've talked about this before. Uh, I don't know what you pay him. Would he actually explore the idea of leaving? And is Zidane Chara really going to keep playing into the 70s? Well, yeah, I he think is, of, right? Yeah, Ovechkin stays. I, I think he stays and plays. His name still helps sell tickets in Washington. He's got a relationship with the owners there. I do not see him going elsewhere. It's, it better not be about the money at this point in his career. If you look at his total career earnings are of almost $125 million. So he's, he should have been able to save a few bucks. So it can't be about the money. You want to show respect when you sign that contract. You're not going to get him for a million dollars by any stretch. Um, I see him being a capital next season. Um, will he start to decline? He still is a point of game guy in the regular season. Um, so I think he's back. I just don't know what that money looks like. I think Chara's done. I think that was his last game. I, I, I don't know. It's a guy who's played 1,600 games, he, and those are hard games. He's 44. He's going to be 45 years old. I, I guess nothing surprises you, but I, I think that was the last NHL hockey game for Zidane Chara. It's almost weird that he, that he came back for one year in a, a different uniform. I, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't know if he thought that was, you know, everybody wants to win. I mean, you want to win, and maybe he saw this was an opportunity to to go out on top and maybe get a chance to skate around the cup one more time. I mean, so when you're at that age, that's what you're looking for. With Ovechkin, I believe he has 730 goals right now, so that is 164 shy of Gretzky. Does he get there? That's a lot I mean, of goals, man. He, he did still score at a 45-goal pace this year over 82 games, and for the most part, the guy doesn't miss games because he's just a tank. I, I mean, I hear what you're saying as he gets later in his career and he does play a physical game. Maybe we're going to see stretches where he misses some, but 
The fact that we can even talk about somebody in 2021 being within relative striking distance of a Wayne Gretzky scoring record is, is amazing. Um, for my money, the best just pure goal scorer, and you know how much this pains me to say, Craig, I'm not, I, I don't like the Capitals. I don't dislike Ovechkin at all, but the best pure goal scorer I've ever seen. Now, obviously, Wayne Gretzky, the best player, he, he did everything, but just in terms of being able to score at this rate in this era, I know most of his goals now are from that left faceoff circle, and for some reason, teams don't defend it, probably because you can't. But, I mean, what he has done is so impressive, and, and the fact that you look, and he's at a 45-goal pace again this year is unbelievable. Yeah, and, and and to your point about the era, goaltending, first of all, the equipment's bigger, but goaltending's so much better than it used to be. I watched some of those highlights from the 80s, and I am amazed at how many times I see a wing come down the wall and score from the wall, <laughs> where, where the goalie just kicks his pad out and it beats him. I'm just like, wow. I mean, like, goaltending technique has, has just taken a quantum leap over where it was even in the 80s. Yeah, if that happens today, you're off the team. Yes. <laughs> like within- <laughs> Unless you're the 2015 Buffalo Sabres, then you're starting all the rest wow. of the games for the season. Oh, wow. Um, let's see. The other series, Tampa Bay, Florida has been, it's been fun. It's been entertaining. Man, Tampa has been impressive though. Nikita Kucherov coming back after not playing all season and looking like he's just, just picking up right where he left off. That's, that has been one of the bigger, I don't want to say surprises, but one of the more standout things of the first round of the playoffs for me. The fact that it didn't even take him a game. I talked about this in uh, my uh, column that I wrote a few days ago. And, and since I'm going to be wrong on all of my predictions for the series, at least I'll <laughs> note that I was uh, right on predicting this. And and I remember it, it's not quite as extreme an example, but when Patrick Kane went down in February with that broken collarbone, missed the season, there was so much hand-wringing in Chicago. Oh, my God, he's what's going to happen with to this team with him out? Is he even going to be effective when he comes back? And then he averaged a point per game, and the, the Blackhawks won the cup. It, there's no – replicating game reps for these guys, but the rest that you get from it, both mental and physical is incredible. And this guy plays at such a high skill level that even when he comes back with a little rust, he's still way above, as I put it, the other plebeians on the ice. Yeah. And the big mistake for the Florida Panthers in this series was spending so much time in the penalty box in game one. I, not that it rewrites the series, but you put Kucherov in a situation where he's not being physically checked he's got plenty of room time and space to get the feel of the puck and feel of the ice i think that he he gets success on the power play gets goals on the power play in that game one because florida was in the penalty box all night now they should have looked at that as hey we got to check him hard we got to play hard but let's stay out of the box and play this team five on five and let's see if we can wear these guys that are coming off injuries wear them down they don't taste success they don't score goals they don't get their legs back um you know, it's unfortunate for Florida, who has looked really good at times in this series. It's been an offensive, speedy powerhouse. Uh, for my money, I, they're a fun team to watch. I would watch the Florida Florida Panthers for fun. And I'm a guy that's watched thousands of hockey games because I had to. It better be a pretty darn good game to make me want to watch a game. And I want to watch the Panthers. I don't know. I don't know if they have enough juice to come back. You know, the Spencer Knight gave him a little buzz so so maybe it's enough to get them get them to game seven we'll see yeah i don't i don't know how you're gonna be able to come back against tampa i do wonder what they would have done if they'd played either of these other two teams though i gotta say nashville making this a series with carolina is not something i saw back-to-back double overtime wins and then game five went to overtime too i i was of the belief that if you rank the 16 teams in these playoffs nashville was 15th ahead of only montreal and they have they've shown some resilience if nothing else 
Yeah, no question about this. This is the biggest surprise to me. And if they, if they had won last night, I would have been stunned that that they were actually one game away. When you look at the series that are being played tonight, it's it's three possible elimination games: Pittsburgh in New York, Florida in Tampa Bay, Vegas in Minnesota. How many close out tonight? I think all of them, actually. Wow. I do, yeah. I'm not so sure about Minnesota. That's the one I'm kind of hesitating on. Because I think Vegas Vegas really emotionally and inside that room, they thought they were going to win that last game in Vegas. Even when the game is getting late stages in the third period, they're out shooting, they're all playing, they're doing everything right. It's going to come, it's going to come, it's going to come. I, I I don't know if psychologically those guys were prepared to get on a plane the next day to Minnesota. I think they were planning, okay, we're going to have three days off before we get Colorado. That series will probably start Saturday. I think that's where their heads went. And I, I, it's hard to do. And everybody, oh, you got to stay in the moment you play the game. You plan your life. Like, I don't have a bag packed for Minnesota because I didn't think I was going there. Minnesota is going, yeah, heck, we're going back home. We're going to play. So they've, they might have the mental advantage going into tonight's game. I think they might have been ready to play this game. Where I don't know if Vegas was. They are now. I, I'm not making excuses for Vegas. I'm just saying, don't be surprised if Minnesota makes this game a little more challenging. And be careful in Vegas in Game Seven at home. I, I make no mistake. I still think Vegas wins the series. But don't be surprised if Minnesota can sneak this one off. My picks are Vegas winning. I think they regroup tonight and win this game. Florida losing to Tampa Bay. That one's over. And I'm just going to keep clinging to this uh, buoy I'm on in 25-foot swells here and say that Pittsburgh's going to win uh, in Nassau tonight. All right. I'm going to check in on you if that game goes to overtime and okay. see how you're doing. Well, um, I mean, yeah, I'll check in on you too because I know you'll need the support. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm fine. I, I'm over it this year. Last year's when I finally kind of like realized what was happening. Uh, okay. Before we get into the coyotes, you had some notes on the flames in there and I know they're not a playoff team, but, um, just real quickly, where do you see that team going? Like we, there's, there's potential with, we start to look around some of these teams and, and the, the names that could move this summer and Calgary's in the middle of that. We could see a very significant amount of big changes this offseason around the league. Johnny Goudreau be, being mentioned among those, that's surprising to me. Um, but when you look at his contract situation, you know, with one season left and the the clauses he's got, okay, maybe you do have to do that. Do you keep Daryl Sutter or does Brad Tree Living bring in his sixth coach in his GM tenure? I, I'm fascinated to see where this goes. Yeah, I think this team is going to – you're going to see the biggest changes on the Calgary Flames team on the ice. I, I think you're looking at – nobody's untouchable. Monaghan, I wouldn't be surprised if he's gone. Johnny Hockey, I think he's no longer a Calgary Flame. Um, I don't know. Uh, Daryl Sutter's going to be there next year. Uh, I'll, I, 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 I don't think there's any question he's back. Um, he was hand-picked. By Brad Treliving, he's been looking at him for a long time. The community really has high aspirations for him. They're a guy that they think he can win. He's got a three-year contract. He will be behind the bench of the Calgary Flames next year. Next year, I have absolutely no doubt about that. Will Brad Treliving be back? That's the question mark. I think he's been, you know, it's five or six coaches now. It's, you know, the expectations in Calgary are higher than they are in other organizations where you not only expect to make the playoffs, you expect to win in those playoffs because he has made the playoffs. He's been there. Um, if, you know, five of the seven years he's been there. So this, if they do make a change, it would be Brad Treliving. I don't know if that's the right move. I think it could happen. But the biggest impact on the Calgary Flames is going to be on the ice. And you're going to see names that you're going to be surprised leaving that organization that you thought were long-term organization guys. 
mean, we've, we've said this for a while that that's probably the best path. They can make the change of GM, but that's not going to change what they're doing on the ice. And I, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I, it's going to be very awkward if next season starts and Johnny Gaudreau and Daryl Sutter are both still there. And I agree with Petey. You just brought Daryl Sutter in. I don't think you, you brought him in for five weeks or whatever. So that's a team certainly to watch. I don't know if we want to look at this from the Coyotes' perspective, if there's any pieces they could pick off that team. I mean, it, a lot of it depends on where the Coyotes are and where they, uh, they plan to be next season. But we can get into the Coyotes now because a lot of that starts – with Connor Garland. So Craig, what can you tell us about uh, where they're, where both sides potentially are on determining his worth when he, uh, he gets this new contract? Well, I spoke to his agent, Peter Cooney briefly, and he told me that they have sent their proposals, their ideas, their wishes to the Coyotes. And they're just waiting to hear back at this point. Uh, Cooney didn't really want to get into specifics and you understand that from an agent standpoint, but my understanding is Connor Garland is not looking for a long-term deal here. It's not going to be a six, seven, or eight-year deal. It's going to be either a mid-level one or maybe a bridge deal. They, I think there are a couple proposals on the table. And although that that Clayton Keller comparable is sitting out there on some levels, I don't think they're looking for Clayton Keller money. Um, and, and when you look at uh, sort of a, a post-pandemic market, it makes perfect sense. It also makes some sense from Connor Garland's perspective. He's 25 now. So if he signs a shorter deal, whether it's a bridge deal that just gets him to free agency and he can bank on himself there or, you know, a, a four to five year deal, he'll still be at an age where he can sign another deal at that point and he can bet on himself and his production. So I think that's where we're going. I don't know what the Coyotes are thinking yet. It, it doesn't sound like they have a lot of direction from ownership just yet. So we'll see where that goes. Um, I, I'm sure they have a lot of planning to do still. But Connor Garland obviously electrified Coyotes fans this year, you have to think long and hard. If, you, if you're not going to resign that guy and you're going to consider trading him, you have to think long and hard about the impact on a already beleaguered fan base. They need some reason to show up at that arena, and Connor Garland's a pretty good uh, reason. Yeah, I'd be really surprised if Connor Garland is not wearing an Arizona Coyote jersey next year. Hey, I, that would, I think he is part of their plan. I think he fits in well with what they're trying to do. I think he's well-liked. He works hard. The fan base likes him. I think you're going to get him at a pretty reasonable price for the, the what he provides to the team. Um, that number, I, you know, no matter how that number turns out, he's, he's going to look at it and go, Hey, I probably could make more, but you know, if you talked about the pandemic salaries and the pandemic comparables, those numbers go down jobs in the league from coaches to managers to players, those salaries are either stagnant or going down. So I don't think he'll be surprised, but but Craig, you've got the best insight. I, I believe this is not a six, seven, eight year deal. This is a bridge deal. He's confident in the way he plays that he is going to show them i earn that next contract he's going to he's going to make a a significant raise this year there's no doubt about it but to make that big elite money i think he's he's a guy that will gamble on himself and say okay i'll play for that but wait for two years three years and then i'm going to cash in so that's what i think from Connor garland it's got to be a relief for the coyotes and it's good look as much as i like Connor garland if he's comparing himself to Clayton Keller, and it doesn't sound like he is, or to Keller's contract specifically, I mean, Keller makes more per year right now than Nathan McKinnon. And, and as much as I like Connor Garland, you can't be paying anybody on this team right now more. Some of that's Nathan McKinnon got signed for a ridiculous deal for the Avalanche, but still. But when you talk about his impact on the fan base, I mean, Craig, I remember doing Q&As two years before Garland ever played a game for the Coyotes, and questions were flowing in about Connor Garland. Like, he has been a fan favorite, 
since before he ever even stepped on the ice in a Coyotes uniform. And then the way he has played since he got here obviously has, has only amplified that. Yeah, no question. I, I mean, I don't have anything more to add on that. I just, I think we've, we've discussed this at length. I'm, I'm just, I'm wondering how long this is going to take. Obviously you got to get this done before the draft um, because then you start talking about him getting to free agency uh, and, and arbitration and all the, all the issues that can arise from that. And, and again, if, if they decide that, that the price point is too high or they're not committed to him for the core, maybe they will explore trading him because he would have brought an interesting return at the deadline last year when they ultimately decided not to trade him. Um, but again, like you guys have said, like I have said, I, I think he's going to be here because I, I think he's an important piece for them. Craig, here's, here's something. We've talked about three or four teams now that are, are heavy on UFAs and RFAs. And the Coyotes are one of those teams that have to make significant moves and signings over the summer. The Coyotes need a new coach. They maybe need new assistant coaches, any new players, maybe a new goalie. We don't know, but a lot of moves. When are these things going to start to happen? Because the draft is at the end of July. Playoffs are going to run into July. So somebody's going to have to start doing something on, on all of these teams fairly soon, you would think. These are significant signings, you know, whether we're talking about Calgary or, or Arizona. Like there's significant work to be done. When is that window? You usually see a little bit bigger window between the Stanley Cup Finals and the draft. That's not, not going to exist this year. So I, I, I hope we start seeing some movement league-wide soon. Do you think that with the Coyotes, and I, I don't know, because a coach is not is generally not going to, he's going to have some input maybe, but generally not going to be the guy that's deciding personnel. Do you think they want to get a coach in place before – they start making some of these other moves. I don't, I didn't even know if those should be tied. See, I don't know. I think when you look at Seattle, I think that's a different situation. Seattle, I think they need to hire a coach because they're building an entire roster. So you need to have players that fit into that coach's mindset and his system and, and make sure you get a, a comfortable pairing there. That's not what's going to happen in, in these other situations. Would it be nice as you look to the draft or making free agent signings? Absolutely, especially if a guy's going, yeah, I've had this player before. I like this player. I don't like that player. I don't see him fitting into our system. You would like to have that piece of the puzzle in place before you make drastic roster moves, I think, because you'd like to have that opinion. It doesn't always happen. Timing doesn't always work that way. But I think with all of these open jobs, you're going to see this coaching dominoes fall fairly quickly. The difference with Arizona is they're not in the market for the coaches that Seattle and the New York Rangers are. They're not looking at the same guys. So is is there a rush? Probably not. So I'm not sure where the mindset is on coach and players and how this all gets done. I do know it's almost June 1st and the draft is in July. So this is this is things need to happen quickly here. Yeah, chop chop. Yeah, I do wonder what the first domino to fall in terms of players around the league is going to be. Like, is, is that Jack Eichel? Is it, is it just simply the expansion draft happening? I mean, the draft lottery is a week from today as we record this. We're recording this on Wednesday. It's June 2nd. By the way, in case we don't do our next podcasts early next week, are we all just assuming the Coyotes win that draft lottery now that, now that I know it's possible? Yeah, take it to the bank. Absolutely okay. take it to the bank ridiculous that ball Absolutely. that ping pong ball is coming up what do you and guys they're think of daily's explanation to me that it just it it it, it, it more evens out the odds for the other teams involved i don't understand it <laughs> i don't even try to explain it to me i don't get it 
Here, Craig, I'll get back to you in a week because I could I could absolutely buy the well, there's some math that you don't fully understand, but if a week from now they're like, Oh, well the coyotes got it, but you know, they had a guy stand yeah. up straight, so they don't get to keep it, that's I'm I'm gonna be a little bit nervous about that. I'm the, be a little more the, skeptical. By the way, Luke, we all believe there's math that Craig doesn't understand. I mean that's, that, that's not a reach. <laughs> yeah, that's not a reach. Yeah, I'm, not, division, I'm I'm done. Listeners take note. I just yeah. give it to Craig again. <laughs> Yeah, he did, by the way. More bullying. So. And I laughed. Let's, let's I'm enabling it. Moment, actually. Where are we in the podcast? Okay. Uh, hour 10. So this is a short one. Anything else on the Coyotes you want to get into? I mean, we at least need to mention the speculation that has kind of already started. I know it's going to pick up where whenever Rick Tockett lands somewhere, people are going to assume Phil Kessel is just automatically going there. Maybe, but it's not automatic. It's not like it's it's Rick Tockett's decision no. to just bring him wherever he goes. Oh, by the way, you know, yeah, I have this suitcase I want to bring with me. Is that cool? Uh, <laughs> the GM that makes these decisions, okay? And I don't think Rick Tockett is going into any of these interviews saying, hey, this is contingent upon me bringing Phil Kessel with me. I'm pretty sure he's not. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is funny, though, because when, when Rick, Tockett took the job in Arizona. The, the Phil Kessel rumor started almost immediately, and it took a, it took over a year to get that actually to to come to fruition. It's going to happen right away if if Rick Tockett gets a job, and clearly there's no guarantee he gets a job in this cycle. But if he does, I, I would bet that that next day there's newspaper articles coming out um, about is Phil Kessel going to X, Y, and Z city. I, I, I would almost guarantee it. This is a little different situation than when he was leaving Pittsburgh, though. Um, I, I know his numbers here in Arizona. He led the team in scoring. I, it, It's really going to depend on which team or, or where Rick Tockett ends up. It's going to have to be a fit um, as a player, as a person. They, their working dynamic from player to coach is unique. Um, I don't know if I've seen anybody else communicate the way those two communicate in a video room or one-on-one sessions. It is truly unique. And, and Rick Tockett has very high expectations of Phil Kessel. He, he, he doesn't give him a free pass at all. And I don't know if that's what people on the outside see. He's, he's hard on Phil Kessel. Like he expects a lot out of Phil Kessel. So it's a great marriage. I just, I would be extremely surprised to see them um, go together again. Uh, Craig, you also have in the notes a quick look at the central for next year for the Coyotes. And it's, it's funny. Um, when the, it was first announced that the Coyotes moved to the central, everybody's like, this is ridiculous. You're putting them in this division and travel wise, it is ridiculous. But now you look at how those teams in that division are trending. I don't really want to be in a division with Colorado. And, uh, and I do think Minnesota is, is, is becoming legit. But other than that, there's some question marks in that division or there's just some flat out potentially bad teams in there too. Yeah, in spite of what Nashville is doing, I still think that as a team in slow decline, I don't think that they're on the way up in their trajectory. And when you look at other teams in that division, like St. Louis, um, who am I forgetting? Uh, well, we mentioned Nashville. I, they're, most of the teams in that Chicago. division. You're yeah. forgetting Chicago. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did leave oh, them. How did you forget Chicago? Oh, what? Uh, what? Oh, I'm sorry. It just slipped my mind. Other than Colorado, uh, by the way, Jamie Eisner, uh, former tri-host of this show, Listed nope. Minnesota number one on his candidates for nonlinear progression. So mm. just leave that hanging out there. Not not sure on Minnesota yet. Not sure what this playoff loss, which is coming tonight. They'll, they'll be out of the playoffs after tonight. Um, 
not sure what that will do to their future. But you you could throw Minnesota into the mix with teams that are still on the rise. It's probably only two teams. And and look, the Coyotes are going to take a step back. It's not like they're climbing right now. But I wonder about the Central Division. Is it is it going to be as tough as people think? Uh. I should mention we're leaving Winnipeg out too, and yeah. depending what they do in these playoffs, I mean, Winnipeg, that's, that's Dallas. Like, uh, you're, I, I'm not going to argue with you, Craig, that they're going down. But, but do you see the Arizona Coyotes as an early Central pick to make the playoffs? No, not next season. Absolutely not. Because we're talking three teams. They, they, this goes back to the not four years. in. What, yeah, what two more. Three, sure. What does age do to all those teams in two years? I and and look, windows are shorter in the NHL anyway. Yeah, I agree. So, I mean, in two years down the road, I have no idea what the complexion is. Yeah, I think Colorado and Minnesota are the two teams that are that are built to win now, and their windows are – Colorado's windows wide open, and Minnesota is just cracked open, and I think they're going to be a team to be reckoned with over the next two or three years. I think those are the premier teams in that division for the next two, three years, absolutely. The rest of it, you're right. I, no, no one knows which direction Dallas is going. St. Louis, I think Nashville's going that – downward direction so you're right arizona is going to be able to compete we talked about travel this might actually i know it's harder because they're traveling more miles i get that but you're going to see when they played la anaheim and san jose in history it would be a one-game trip to california like they didn't go play la and anaheim and san jose on the same trip they were in and out in and out in and out when they move to the central you're going to see them traveling they're going to play three, four, five games at a time every time they go out. So I think that might make up for some of those difficulties in travel. Um, and, and right? isn't what's that? that? What coaching, isn't that what the coaching staff always wanted to sort of lengthen those so you don't have to keep Absolutely. Yeah. You know, that, that's been a complaint about the schedule here in Arizona for years where you go out and play one or two and then you're back home. Or you play one home game, one road game, one home game. It's it's You can't have a, a – homestand if you don't have more than one game. Um, so I think you're going to see more of those things fall into the Coyotes' favor when they move to the Central than where they are now. All right, let's get to some of these uh, listener questions, and we will start with the one that's been on everybody's mind from Matt Krell. Why has everyone been so mean to Craig lately? Um, well, I, I don't know that Luke hasn't been mean to me. And, and by the way, Luke has run a, a very fluid show today. I, I don't know if you've noticed this one. <laughs> My show notes were all over the map. Luke somehow pieced them together on the fly and, and created uh, cohesion out of this. Wow. Hey, thanks, Craig. I don't know, folks. I just I can't speak for you. I, I tell you what. And this in the victim's chair. I'm not sure if it's the <laughs> listener's plan, but I sat and I, I read the – I usually don't prepare as, as it shows on the, by my performance. <laughs> but I, I looked through the listener questions last night once I figured out how to do that. It took me eight or nine shows to figure it out. But I, I got to see the questions. And I – I, I honestly, I set up a profile picture on my Twitter account. I'm, my thumb was on it. Like I was almost ready <laughs> to send my very first tweet in defense of my bullying accusations. And I withdrew and I said, wait a minute. First of all, if I ever do have a first tweet and maybe it's coming, it's got to be better than defending myself against Craig Morgan. I mean, it's got to it's got to have some some deeper meaning or some prolific, you know, announcement. It's got to be something. I don't want to get in a fight with Craig Morgan on Twitter. I, I said I'm not prepared for that battle. So it's it's it is that is coming, Craig. And I will be mindful of how I treat you because I know your feelings are are very tender at this point. People, if you want to uh, send suggestions for anger management counseling to Petey, you can do it through me. 
by the way, the, the, get in line. I mean, that's a long list. It, it used to be grumpy, grumpy Steve, like or angry Steve to some. That that list of getting into anger management that's a long line of people that have that complaint. I just love how you're like, yeah, I'm not going to lower myself to get into it with Craig Morgan. Like that's like the heavyweight fighter on the ice that's not going to fight the minor <laughs> leaguer that's like five foot seven. Um, no, no, he's working out apparently. I keep no. hearing that. Okay. But I do notice that the the video and if people do, I'm sure everybody's tuning into the YouTube channel and watching this as well or wherever Craig has it posted. Actually, he does only film it from the shoulders up. So I, I'm not quite sure how the workouts are progressing. Like I, I want to, not that I need to see physical evidence, but I, let's talk <laughs> about protein shakes and working out. I, I want to see it firsthand. And unfortunately with the pandemic, Craig and I have not been able to do that yet. Petey does get up and move around at times uh, to show off his abs, his rock. <laughs> I clearly do. <laughs> Pants optional. <laughs> All right. Another one, Chris and Phoenix. What precipitated Twitterless Steve Peters unprovoked ageist oh, attack on Craig wow. part of last podcast? Wow. And will he be punished appropriately by being forced to continually listen to Jamie Eisner reruns? Wow, that's and then hard. Jamie responded to it. Yeah. First of all, why is Jamie still trolling the Twitter feed of this show? Has he not moved on? He has he not moved on? <laughs> I don't know Jamie, but I, I thought I, I really thought we were on the same page and we no. would gang up as as against Craig Morgan, but apparently he's he's decided to take the other side of the fence. So I, I clearly I'm going to have to go back and start listening so I can defend myself against Jamie Eisner as well. We're going to have <laughs> Jamie just drop by unexpectedly in one of these podcasts. He's going to show up and surprise uh, you. I can't wait. As, <laughs> as sure the listeners are waiting for that moment as well, Craig. Just one in Gilbert. Um, Coach East Jack, I know there's some already built-in excuses, but what do you make of Team Canada's IIHF showing? Yeah. You can't see all our faces right now, but I, I got to say, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's not like they're getting to choose from the, the – the, they're not getting their pick of, of Canadian All-Stars to build that roster, um, and it's showing. Yeah, the biggest thing here, and I'll make it really brief, let's not put this on the weight of Darcy Kemper or Shane Doan or Michael Bunting. Before people comment on this, go, go ahead and Google the roster. Like, check, check who's playing for Team Canada right now. This is a tough tournament to field NHL players for on a regular season. Can you imagine now these guys went from the bubble to a shortened season where they were stuck in hotels, haven't seen their families. It's an unbelievable ask to get these guys. Okay, now that you're finally done, let's go spend three or four weeks in Latvia where you can't leave the hotel again. That's a big ask. And you've got kids on this team that are, they were playing in juniors this year or, you know, playing in Europe this year. This isn't the regular roster Canada fields for this. And, and you, when you speak to Shane Doan, he'll tell you like the, the, the no's far outweighed the yeses to field this club. So, you know, don't, don't put a whole lot of pressure on team Canada, but, but as an American, you know, Hey, I, do I mind oh. seeing Canada lose a few games? Eh. Here's the other thing, though, and you're right, that there were, there were tons of players that said no. You had 16 playoff teams from which players were not available, and that's abnormal, too, because this, this tournament happens basically at the same time every year, and the playoffs for the NHL start a month earlier than they did. So you'd be down to four teams by now. You'd have 27 or 28 next-year teams to, to pull from. You, you lost all those players and all the other factors you mentioned. But 
Team USA was in the same boat. They had a lot of no's. They had a, a, a tough group of players to pull from. And yet they're two and one. They lost a one goal game to Finland. That's a, one of the, the tournament favorites. So maybe the roster construction wasn't as good as it could have been. Fair enough. And the movie will be out in August. <laughs> no, I'm That's what I always hear in the locker room. Talk about, I go to work when I used to go to work, which I no longer do, but when I used to go to work, it would be with a room full of Canadians every single year. So every competition like this, talk about getting bullied. Like it was constant. And anytime I would say anything, they would come back with, what, are you going to make a movie about it? You guys win. If we did that in Canada, we'd be making movies every year. Um, so when the Americans have a little more success than the Canadians, I'm not going to say I don't gloat just a little bit. So go USA. Yeah, I'm with you on that, PD. Just even growing up playing hockey up in Northwest, I mean, it was the same thing. Every time the U.S. did anything, it was like, oh, okay, big deal, because you're just playing hockey with a bunch of Canadians. But the other thing and the point I really want to make, they all talk about ketchup chips like they're the greatest thing ever. I maybe it's because my expectations were so high the first time I ever had ketchup chips, but they basically just taste like ketchup on chips, which is fine, <laughs> but, but not nearly living up to the billing that they received for like the first fifteen years of my life that they were going to be the greatest thing ever. And, and Luke, well, 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 we're you know instead of bashing Craig, I mean, by the way, before we continue, my dad is Canadian, so I'll, I'll preface this with. I do have some Canadian roots, but if I hear one more time as the plane is landing in either Winnipeg or Edmonton or Calgary, welcome to God's country. I've heard it on every plane I've ever been on in the NHL that some kid played that lived in these towns. If that's God's country, he's winter vacationing in Arizona. I'm telling you right now. Winnipeg? Somebody called Winnipeg. Yes. Wow. Yes. So uh, it I, wasn't Ilya Brzgalov. I know that. You no, know, it was. It might have been a PR guy there that's oh. from that area. But, but still, I, I love going to Canada. I, I, my great friends are from there. They have some of the best chocolate in the world. All of those things are true. But let's cool the jets just a little bit. All of the guys that are saying that are living here. Okay, three points I want to make, and then I'm going to stop. Yeah, I stop. Canada comparisons. Ketchup chips are awful because ketchup is awful. Two, poutine is even worse. It's disgusting. I won't even touch that stuff. And three, Dunkin' Donuts are better than Tim Hortons. (laughs) Controversy there at the end. Okay, I'll let it go because I've already got the Craig Craig Morgan fan base has already turned on me, and I know how large and powerful that group can be. And now I'm getting the Canadian fan base against me. So I, I, I don't know. I've got to find my people in in this whole mix. Yeah, and I don't want to get too far off of of trashing Craig. I don't I don't want that to be a trend. <laughs> exactly. Way. I um, love Canada. There you go. I, I will ask this though, Craig. How do you feel about ketchup chips on hot dogs? Because you know somebody. I, that question was really more so for some listener out there who's going to try it and tell it tell us how it's a it was. I will say you know. I did empty my pockets of Canadian money buying Canadian chocolate bars when I'd come back to the states. That was a big deal. My son's Christmas stockings have been filled with arrow and caramels year after year. They do have good chocolates. I'll they give you do. that. I know Connor Garland sits with me on the Dunkin' Donuts versus Tim Hortons debate. So I'll just well, leave it. They- they have some pretty good hockey players. They have good comedians. There's a lot of good comedians from Canada. Yeah, that's interesting, well. isn't it? It is. Um, Greg writes in, and this this is now immediately becoming an unsolved mystery to me. 
He says, was the updated bingo card received? And while we know Craig has vacation, can you give us some roundabout dates so we can all set our Twitter alerts for breaking Coyotes news? There's a lot to unpack there, but I want to start with this. Who has this bingo card? Because I haven't seen it. I do not have this bingo card. Well, clearly I don't because I'm my social friend print is non-existent. So nobody's getting it to me. So this one's right. not my fault. I'm going to have to dig for that one. I don't know yeah. if he sent it. To, I don't know where that would go. I'm, I'm, I'm lying. I have the bingo card. Yeah, of do course you? you do, Craig. Uh, I assume Jamie had it. Yeah. We're going to roll it out. We're going to roll it out here. It's, it's sort of an off-season thing. So, yes, Greg, I do have the card. I'm not, you, you did send it correctly, so don't worry about it. Huh. Interesting. All right. Now we're withholding from each Priorities. other on the show. I get it. That's right. Uh, Craig, when are your vacation dates so we can get ready for like big free agent signings and coaching news? They are in the first time. Okay. Does that All happen, right. Craig? Like that, that's a pretty consistent, that's a thing. Like if Craig Morgan is elsewhere gallivanting across the U.S. and parts unknown that the Coyotes make a big move. It has happened more times than I care to mention. It's, yeah. Well, maybe that's could get the ball rolling. Why don't you I don't want to say it's ruined my vacations, but it has definitely impacted my Just vacations. If we were talking about getting the Coyotes starting to make some moves and hirings, why don't you leave? Just leave. <laughs> maybe that's leave? maybe that's what we're waiting for. You should just isolate that right there. Why don't you leave? <laughs> Craig, why don't you leave? Let me just write that down. <laughs> yeah, yeah PD, the year that, like, Craig, what was the story? You were basically like walking across the country for some sort of benefit and saying down and Dave Tippett. 2017. Yeah. I was driving across the country because mm-hmm. my parents wanted to visit my aunt in Missouri. They wanted to bring their dogs and they don't like to fly their dogs. Neither do I. It's a, an awful experience for dogs to fly on an airplane. So we drove from Arizona to Chicago for the draft. And every step of the way, something was happening yeah. on that trip. Mike Smith was traded, if you remember. Shane Doan was as he put it, corporately fired. And then in Chicago, Dave Tippett left on the eve of the draft. And that, that those are just the tip of the iceberg. There was there was news happening the entire way. Well, and we all expected something going into that because this was already a trend prior to that. That just really cemented things. Um, all right, let's go. We have a few questions about stuff we've already talked about, like the officiating. But this one from Jeffrey Travis. What will the Panthers do with their stockpile of goalies? Any way they can rid themselves of Bob? I mean, besides trading four firsts and prospects to move him, wait, the Coyotes might do that. Oh, that's hurtful. But, uh, yeah, the Panthers do. I mean, Spencer Knight stepping in there, he's obviously their future. And net, I didn't necessarily think that was going to be in this series against Tampa, but here we are. Well, you're looking at uh, Dredd. Dredger is going to be a Dredger, Dredger. We got a consensus, Craig. Um, he's going to be a UFA. I don't know if they're going to have decisions to make. Bob's salary is going to be really hard to move Bob Ross game. He's a $10 million goalie for a long time. So I, I think that you're going to see it's going to be the Spencer Knight Bob Rosky show from here on out for a while. So for the expansion draft, I mean, you, you protect, do you have to protect Spencer Knight? Yeah, you do. Okay, Absolutely so pre- have to protect him. And, and if you, you think Seattle's going to go after $10 million, um, no. Sergey Bobrovsky that's had the playoff success or lack thereof, um, I think you're probably pretty safe with Bobrovsky. Well, no, yeah. And I, I totally agree. I just meant more because Spencer Knight's only 20. I, I can't remember what the rules are there, but either way. Yeah. I mean, if you have to, if you can only protect one of them and you have to. Yeah, that's Spencer right. Craig knows seven. all those rules. Craig should, you had all those rules, Craig. They're with the bingo card. I know. That's right. Check your right. email. Um, that might be it for questions. Uh, did you see any other ones you really like, Craig? Just a couple quick ones. Uh, Justin Lizardy. Oh, yeah, watching, that's a good one. Watching the first round, why are coaches not switching up goalies a little bit more? This was a pretty intense schedule. It seemed to work in Florida, so why not 
Edmonton and Vegas. Uh, I think generally coaches and Peter, you can speak to this more than I can. Coaches like to ride one guy in the playoffs if they can. Now you can certainly make an argument that maybe Dave Tippett should not have written uh, Mike Smith as hard as he did in the playoffs. It's hard because when you go into the playoffs, there's not a coach out there that's going to say, hey, game one of the playoffs, let's start the guy that I think is the second best goalie. That's non-existent. You're going to go with the guy that's playing the best, that you believe in the most, that you think can win you that game one. That's, that's the mindset of a coach. They want to win every game. So when Mike Smith loses three games, he had made 40-some saves in one game, some exceptional. I thought he played fairly well. So now you're getting to game four, and you go, I have to win now. As a coach, I have to win. So do I put in a guy who hasn't played in three weeks? Or do I go with the guy that's actually been pretty good and maybe given up one or two? Um, I think that's why it's a little harder to make those changes. Now, the exceptions to the rule. You look at Florida, Bobrovsky coming in wasn't like, oh, my God, what a great year Bobrovsky's had. He's got a long leash. He's the guy. You know, he's had injuries. He didn't play exceptionally well coming into the end of the season. You know, the Spencer Knight phenomenon had just started. Like, there were a lot of things in the Florida's decision to go with a goaltender, and they were going to have short leashes on all of them. The only one I – other – exception is is when you bring up Vegas. I mean, you know, Robin Lehner is the guy that, that carried the mail for a lot of the time inside the bubble last year. So for him to not get a look yet, I think was surprising. I, I know um, Marc-Andre Fleury had been exceptional early, and I, I don't know. Forgive me, Craig, did they make a goalie announcement for tonight in Vegas? Do you know if they've, if they've made a decision? Um, uh, that one actually does surprise me. I, I wouldn't be surprised, um, you know, but what do you do? Game seven, you throw in Robin Lehner, who hasn't played in weeks in a meaningful game. I, I think that change is a much more difficult change to make inside the coaches room that people realize. Not playing in games that are this meaningful, it, it can look like a last-ditch desperate effort. And, and you know what? In Edmonton, maybe they should have had a last-ditch desperate effort. Uh, here's a couple more. This one's from Cheryl. This is mostly for my fellow Pens fan, Luke. Your reaction at the end of Monday's game, mine was a deep sigh and the thought, not again. But is it weird that I haven't lost hope? Yes. This year feels different than either of the last two. Uh, I will grant you that the team is a little different than the last couple of years because they do play more of a sort of like Petey was saying earlier, the last couple of years, the Penguins seemed to feel like they had everybody on the ice had touched the puck before you could shoot it into the net. But you have to be able to win overtime games in the playoffs. And full disclosure, I didn't even watch overtime the other day. That's the first time I can remember the Penguins being in overtime. I was like, forget it. I didn't even watch it. And uh, Cheryl still believes in my belief that the Penguins are going to win this series. Well, all right. Good luck with that. Um, Loyal Sif, with things starting to open up, will we see a watch party meetup with the Stanley Cup finals? Oh, wow. wow. Interesting. Uh, Hmm. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Yeah, Peter's sure. hosting, actually. Yeah, this isn't a bad idea. I thought we were talking about studio time at some point. Wow, that might actually have to happen. Hmm. Yeah, stuff in. is definitely opening up. I'm in. It sounds like they're talking about meeting in a bar, though. Like, that's oh, like a thing, like an event. We did this oh. before. We had, a, we had a gathering in Gilbert, actually, and we had uh, several people show up for that. That was pretty cool, actually. Um, All right. Are we at that point yet? I'm not I, saying no. I, I Hockey would say, and a cold beer? 
I, I was reading this more as Craig opening up his backyard to all the listeners and, of course, Petey and I and hosting a big get-together. Oh, yeah. yeah. Very I'll be virtual if you need me. <laughs> hopefully, uh, hopefully we can do this at some point soon. Yeah, that would be great. Honestly, that would yeah, be great. It would. It would. Uh, last one, nonlinear donut ball delivery. Since we are stuck with a flat cap for the foreseeable future, do you think there will be a return to compliance buyouts? Look at a team like Minnesota with healthy scratch. Zach Parisi signed until 24-25. The Caps have Kuznetsov signed long-term. The Panthers have Yandel. I don't know. We I don't, haven't heard any chatter about it. Have you, Petey? No. No. We talked I, I, about I, have, I honestly, I, that, wait, wait, get, non-linear is good. Like that's, that's so over my head. Maybe he should be on the panel. Like that, maybe he should study and, and get back to us. Cause that's, I honestly, I have, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the rule should look like for that. I don't know. I know there's, I know those teams and, and I've said this almost without exception. When somebody signs an eight to 10 year contract, the team is unhappy with it. I don't care who you sign or who that player is. There's, if you want to sign Connor McDavid right now to a 10 year deal. Okay. But beyond that, I just, I don't, the, the, the longer the contracts, they, they always end in this kind of arrangement. You think Zach Parisi is happy in Minnesota right now as a healthy scratch? He's miserable. Do you think the Minnesota wild are happy scratching a $10 million player? They're miserable, but you're stuck. It's a contract you can't trade. He can't leave. The team doesn't want him. He doesn't want to be there. But you also, you're stuck. So I, I wish there was a solution. And the solution is don't sign a guy that long. That's the solution. Yeah, that's because, I mean, no matter what, somebody's going to be unhappy 10 years from now if nothing's going to change. I mean, I can't. He seems happy. I can't imagine Nathan McKinnon is really stoked to be making six point three million a year. You know, when he obviously could be right there with McDavid and Matthews as the highest paid players in the game. But he might win a Stanley Cup, so I guess he's fine. McDavid uh, will not be doing that. All right, guys, that's uh, we got through all the questions I see right here. So good for us. For Craig Morgan, for Steve Peters, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.